1: to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I am so thrilled and fortunate to be here with you on this Thursday morning. Here in LA, it's raining, but I know for a lot of you, it's colder than you know what. Uh, So bundle up. I love somebody posted this morning on Facebook, uh, you know, what's the proper way to dress for extreme cold and it's step one take off your pants and step two get back into bed. So I just want to say I hope that a lot of you have gone back to bed or hunkered down under some warm quilts in front of a fire Uh, and those of us here in LA you know we're trying to bail out Uh, because we've had so much rain. We need it don't get me wrong we need it But, uh, but it's not what we're used to. In any way shape or form in any case we are going to be with you for the next two hours talking about autism from a 360-degree perspective no matter where you've walked into the circle if you are a parent a teacher a practitioner a grandparent or an individual who is on the autism spectrum yourself we hope that you'll join us and take what you need and leave the rest right because we know this isn't one-size-fits-all Uh, And that everybody needs something a little bit different, but we really love to give you resources and inspiration and hope here So that's what we're going to be trying to do over the next two hours Um, I Want to say that everything that we do is meant to be interactive. We love to interact with you We love when you guys write in questions and comments or just let us know that you're watching and where you're watching from We really enjoy that so Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us here while I'm going to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. If you are new to the show, you're going to be like, ooh, look at this fancy schmancy website. If you've been around for a while, you're going to go, ooh, look at this new fancy schmancy website. Uh, just know that some of the things, functionality has moved around a little bit on the autism-live.com. And by the way, there's lots of other ways that Traven is showing you that you can connect with us on YouTube and Facebook and all those other things. Those are all good, too. But the, the newer website has a lot of the features that you guys like on YouTube that you can search by topic and by playlist and connect with tons, I mean, literally thousands of videos right from our website now. Or you can watch the live show. When we are live up in the upper um, toolbar, it will say live and there's a little red button and you click on that and it expands the screen so that you're watching us live. Uh, If you want to chat, there is a little chat button at the bottom of the screen on the right hand side. You click that, it opens a box and you can write there and write to me. Now, what I love about the chat on our website is that it's completely anonymous. I have no way of knowing who you are or where you are so you can ask any question and if you do put individual specific advice like what your name is or what your phone number we don't share that with the people at home that's all personal private stuff so you can put things there and I'm not going to share it I don't even have the I used to have a way to put it on the screen we and we didn't like it uh, because so much of the time you guys would write something and I would go oh I'm not going to put that up there so I don't even have the ability to put it on the screen anymore isn't that fabulous Um, but I have the ability to talk to you which we love that uh so please if especially if you want to write in something and remain anonymous that's the way to do it but you can write it on facebook or youtube or periscope or twitter or you can email me we don't talk about that enough that you can email me at s as in sam dot penrod p as in peter e as in egg n as in nancy r as in robot o as in oscar d as in dog at autism i don't need to spell that out for you i know you all know how to spell that hyphen, that's the dash in the middle, live, L-I-V as in Victor, E. com. And I spell that out for those of you who are listening on YouTube. Did you know that when you go to YouTube, you can choose how you would like to get your free download? You can do it with sound or with sound and picture. So that if you want to be watching it on your iPad and you want to see the funny faces that I make, you can do that. Or you can just download the podcast um, that is Pure Audio and take us in the car. Uh, I think that's a fun thing. Just don't close your eyes when I tell you to meditate, right? (laughs) the one thing I'm going to ask you not to do. No closing your eyes in the car. Okay, so uh, having said all of that, uh, one last disclaimer. On Thursdays i like to remind you, because we have a little bit more time on Thursdays, that um, we have a lot of experts who are on the show. I'm not one of them. Isn't that funny? I am an autism mom and a former educator and somebody who cares very deeply that you get the resources that you need, and I know that those are not one size fits all at all, that what my family needed and what my son needed is not necessarily what you and your son or daughter or student uh, or yourself need, right? Um, but But it is still something that I'm passionate about that you get what you need to get to the progress that you're seeking and that you deserve. That's what my deal is. And I'm happy to be here and kind of connect people. I think of myself as one of those old time, you know, in the old black and white movies when they had the switchboard and they would pull the the cord up and plug it in and go, you know, now I've connected you. That's what I always think of. Uh, and I'm happy to connect. Man, I'm paying my karmic debt down. All right. Uh, so all those things in place now that you know that I'm not an expert, but that I care deeply Uh, It's time for what we fondly refer to around here as the jargon of the day. I'm particularly warm and fuzzy about the jargon of the day, having just come back from uh, a conference about autism that was uh, put on by ABAI. And I had so many wonderful BCBAs who came up to me and said, you know, when I was studying for my exams, I watched Autism Live for the jargon. It really helped me. And that just warms my heart, I can't even tell you, that we're, we're not just helping ourselves, we're, we're helping future generations of people who will then help us back. Woohoo, right? Uh, in any case, today's jargon term, I love the fact that Trayvon put this in uh, a font that makes it look deep and mysterious, right? Doesn't it look like something from a witch hunt? The mass trial. Uh, this is one of those terms that very, the first time that I was in a clinic and somebody said, okay, you know, well, your son uh, isn't able to do this, and, and so we're going to mass trial it. And I was like, you know, is, is, is this involve a guillotine? It sounds really, really violent, doesn't it? It doesn't. It's one of those misnomer things. So let's take a look at what the actual definition of mass trial is. There it is. Repeated consecutive trials of the same SD and target. Don't you love when jargon, it's that, that thing I was talking about yesterday, when they take, oh, well, the word trial's in there, so let's put it in again, and then let's add jargon that we don't know to it. What's an SD, right? And what do you mean by Target? Then I'm picturing either the Target, the, the store, or a Target that I'm going to send a, a bow and arrow over. Not helpful to me. I, I, I look at repeated consecutive trials of the same SD and Target. What? All right, so let's go to our working definition to see if we can't make some sense. So it's getting your child, or really anybody, to demonstrate exactly the same target behavior. Okay, so there's a list. We're gonna, I'm moving stuff out of the way now, right? (laughs) Because I'm gonna demonstrate. So in ABA, there are lots of different techniques that we do to teach. And we start with errorless learning, right? Where um, we, we will, there's only one answer. It's the right answer, right? So if I were going to be teaching red pen, which is not something I would be teaching, but let's imagine that I was, uh, and, and I would put it there and I would say, touch the red pen, right? There's only a red pen. Um, and I might prompt the child to touch red pen. Uh, later on, we're, we're going to put different distractors there. So now I've got a green pen, which, oh, it actually looks green on the screen. That's very funny. Um, and the red pen, and I would say, touch red pen. And they would need to touch the red pen, not the green pen, right? Well, um, and then later on, I would teach them the green pen, and I would have a blue pen there, and they would know the red and the green. And I would put the distractors there, and sometimes I would say red pen, and sometimes I would say green pen, right? Because I'm getting them to discriminate between what's the red pen and what's the green pen. And by the way, I would be putting other things in there like a phone, you know, so and say touch the red pen, and I would move them around, right? Um, And these are all ways of teaching someone at a very basic level how to discriminate something. So when there are names for the different steps of what happens, right? But when you're mass trialing, we're only working on red pen. We're picking one target and that's the only thing we're working on. So if I'm teaching red pen, I start with mass trialing it and that's all that's being taught. I'm not teaching green pen at the same time I'm teaching red pen. I mass trial red pen. I can have different numbers of distractors there, right? But all I'm teaching is red pen. And this is where I think parents get a little like, what, wait a second. But so much of the time when we're teaching things, we teach more than one thing. And we teach it in an environment where there's more than one thing going on. And it gets easy to get confused. And the example that I always liked hearing is that When, um, when we're teaching language, let's imagine that I'm trying to learn Russian. And this was an example that was given to me once, that you go to Russia, and you're wanting to pick up the language, and so you're totally marinating in it, trying to get the language, right? And the woman who, of the house that you're staying in, says a whole bunch of blah, 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 blah. And she's gesturing towards food, right? And you know that somewhere in there, she said, don't you want to eat this bowl of soup, but you have no idea which one which word was soup right it's going to take you a while to pick out which words whereas if the woman just you know pulled you over and said lashla right then then you know this either means eat or soup and it's because you have only got the one word right and so you know lashla means something and then later on when she hands you a sandwich and she says lashla now you know lashla means eat lashla means nothing i don't know what the russian word for eat is <laughs> but you see what i'm saying as opposed to saying all the words and i don't know which word is discriminating. so which one is the one that i want to know that's going to help me to build language right so when we do mass trials we're saying we're just doing one thing at a time don't complicate it This is the very beginning of teaching something later on, we're gonna complicate it for sure, right? There are so many steps before it becomes a skill in their real life, but in the beginning, we're gonna make it so clear that we really can't fail, especially if we give it lots of opportunities. So mass trial, red pen. And then once the person is getting it, even though there are other things there, uh, and I go, okay, we've, we've got red pen, right? Then we put everything aside and we teach just green pen. And one of the distractors might be red pen, but I never say touch red pen, touch green pen in a mass trial, okay? I'm only teaching one thing at a time. Then later, once I have two things that I know and I can get right on a regular basis, then I move into random rotation. That's a different thing and that means sometimes I'm gonna say touch the red pen. Yay. And we rearrange them. And I go touch the green pen. Yay. And this is the way we build a skill. And I know it looks ridiculous. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's so slow. It takes forever. Yeah, maybe, but it works. And it works for our kids on the autism spectrum. And when you're trying to teach a kid or an adult or someone on the autism spectrum and they're not getting it, this is a way to have them get it. Now, is this just for people on the autism spectrum? No. Um, If you were going to teach me physics, right, it wouldn't come down to touch red pen, But um, and I don't even know enough about physics to have something intelligent to say. (laughs) That's how bad I am about, about physics. But you would give me one thing at a time if you really wanted to teach me well. Too often, as educators, and I started off by saying I'm a former teacher, we teach eight things at the same time. And for a more advanced learner, that's great. But if we're teaching a new skill and something that's difficult for the person and we know we're going in with something difficult, we wanna start and teach one thing at a time. And and that can go fast if the person gets it, we can speed it up, right? But we wanna make sure that we get the skill all the way through. So often as a teacher, I would see kids who would come in and we would call them Swiss cheese because they had holes. And these were kids that were neurotypical, some were on the spectrum. I mean, you know, the full societal everything, right? Um, And and so a hole in your knowledge can prevent you from being able to do the full range of what you want to do. So we would have to plug up the hole first and teach that skill that was the hole and then the children would fly. We want to make sure when we're teaching individuals on the autism spectrum that we've plugged all the holes so that they can make the most progress. So we are very particular about, we mass trial, teach one thing at a time before you move into the random rotation. I love that in advanced learning, now it's very common, uh, in fact, it's the common core, that we interweave um, things later on in advanced learning. And that can be as early as first grade, but once somebody knows something, um, you know, let's let's say that they've learned their colors, um, and now they're learning about something in history, right? That we weave their knowledge of colors with their knowledge of history and put it together in a lesson because then it becomes more experiential and that is helping to build for generalization that's like step 14 whereas mass trial is step one okay so that's mass trial um, and now when somebody says that you won't think it's the salem witch hunt you will know oh we're going to teach one thing one thing at a time Uh, until we get it, and then we're going to teach something else before we try to tell the difference between the two of them. Makes sense? Don't worry. If you don't get it, that's the great thing about jargon and why we do it every Thursday. If you don't get it, you're going to get it eventually. It will happen. We just do it again and again, just like with our kiddos. Um, I try not to teach more than one jargon term at a time. Like, I'd love to jump in here and talk about what an SD is, but see, I just want you to get the mass trial. Uh, Other times I will confuse you and do that. Okay, so let's take a look, that's our jargon of the day, let's take a look at our question of the day. This is when we ask you something and we wanna know your thoughts and feelings about this. You can write it in on Facebook, Uh, you can write it in any way that you want to, but I would really love to know on this Thursday, who's your hero? And it could be multiple people. Um, oh my gosh, I just instantly got so emotional because of course, first and foremost on my list of heroes is my son because, um, my son teaches me every day about who I need to grow up to be, um, and who I can grow up to be. He has worked in his life. He's 15 and a half and he's worked harder than any person I've ever met and he has more courage than any person I met. He is my hero. But I have a list of heroes. Oh my gosh, I have a list of heroes. My parents are heroes to me. My husband is a hero to me. I I think that this journey through autism is really hard for moms, really hard for moms. But I have to be honest, I, d- I can't know what it's like for dads. But I have a sneaking suspicion that it's a smidge harder for the dads. Because at least as moms, most of us, have friends that at some point we find another autism mom. I can find an autism mom in a bank and we've never met before and we'll hug and cry together and laugh together and be like, we're okay. We're going to be okay because I'm not alone in this at some point, right? I didn't always have that but at some point I think a lot of autism moms find at least somebody like that. And I think that's harder for the dads, I do. I think it's less socially acceptable, and I wish that it weren't. I got I'm shedding the tear. Um, but I also have to say that um, the people who work with our kids with autism, from the teachers who are amazing, and there are so many teachers who are amazing, and the therapists who work with our kids, and the BCBAs that work with our kids, the, they're all heroes to me. I. Uh, was saying to somebody recently, you know, the truth of the matter is is that I didn't choose autism. I 100% did not choose autism. One of my very best friends from college, her son was diagnosed with autism and I was concerned for her and asked about her well-being. but I didn't take on autism. I didn't go into that field. I didn't say, hey, let me host a show about it because your child is diagnosed with autism. That just isn't what happened. But when my child was diagnosed with autism, I needed to get with the program right I have so much respect for people who choose autism and say this is the this is the way I'm going to live my life this is the group of people that I'm going to surround myself with this is the thing that I'm personally going to take on in my heart man they are all heroes to me don't even get me started I'm gonna be a weepy weepy mess but what a wonderful wonderful thing um, so write in and tell us what are you who are your heroes uh, and we'd love, we'd love to see what some of you have to write in. Okay. It is time before I get too maudlin here to (laughs) get to our topic of the week. Uh, this is when, you know, we, we take a look at something and try to give a, a broader understanding of, of things. So today's topic, this week's topic is sending and receiving. And this takes on many different, uh, connotations, right? Uh, from, what you put out is what comes back at you. I know the other day I was in a very crabby mood and I was driving my car. And of course, to me, I'm like in my car, you're driving your car. You can't tell if I'm crabby or not, right? And yet, people were cutting me off and honking at me. And I was driving exactly the way I drive when I'm not crabby. And I was like, right? Um, And the crabbier I got, the worse the traffic got, and then the more crabby I got, right? And at some point, I kind of stopped myself and I said, oh, my surroundings are projecting back to me how I feel inside. Perhaps I would like to project something different other than the complete and total crab that I'm currently feeling. And I you know, just did that scientific experiment that we sometimes participate in. And I thought, what if I stop being crabby and I start thinking nice things about the people on the road around me and the traffic cleared and nobody was honking at me. It's just a funny thing, right? Um, You know, try it, uh, see if it works for you. But I got to say that in my life, whatever I put out comes back to me times two. So, and that's, I didn't come up with that. That is the rule of karma, right? So take a look at that. But there's also this thing that I notice in the autism community, and I don't think I'm the only one, but write in and tell me if I am. You know I'll take it if you say to me, Shannon, you're in the wrong on this. You've told me before. I listen. I do. Um, But so many of us would do anything to help somebody else. I see that across autism parents that... I can ask an autism parent to take care of themselves and to get themselves a massage and they'll laugh, right? Huh? like that could happen. But if I told them that there was an autism mom that was totally stressed and needed their help, they would drive them to the masseuse to get the massage. And they would make time in their day to make sure that that other mom got the massage. Um, and it's important to not only give, and I do think that that's a really important thing For those of us in the autism community who have the bandwidth, whether it's time, money, energy, thought, prayer, whatever, give what you can um, because it helps you to cope with your stress. I absolutely believe that. But I think the flip is true, too, that sometimes you have to take help. That one's harder. Isn't that funny? Uh, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's harder. And if you don't take help, you leave other people out. I remember when my son was diagnosed and we did not have the money to do what I was being told we needed to do. Uh, We needed to start ABA therapy and I was fortunate enough that we lived in a state that they were going to pay for that, the lion's share of it in any case. But I was also told that I had to get my child healthy and look at some biomedical treatments and get some testing done that was going to be outside the norm of testing, that insurance wasn't going to cover it, and that it was going to be like $2,000. And we didn't have it. We just didn't have it. And I really had to come face to face with my ego and all the things that I thought about myself as a parent and a person and say, am I going to let my child not have this because I don't, and believe me, oh, the self-talk to myself about, you should have been saving money in case of an emergency, you know what I mean? Like I, and myself about, you You know, you should have, ta- you messed up, right? But it was, am I gonna let him be left behind because of that, or am I gonna put my pride aside and figure out what to do and get on the, the solving end of this? And my husband and I decided to do a fundraiser. We're theater people and we had a friend who uh, worked at a restaurant where if you, there was a uh, a certain minimum that people had to order to eat and then you could charge at the door and you could put on a show. And we said, well, that's what we'll do. We'll, We'll put on a show and we had an auction and we asked friends to perform and it was sort of this variety show thing. Um, and we were sort of like, oh, we feel bad that we're asking for help. But the thing that was amazing to me is the night that it happened, people showed up to the venue and said, oh, my gosh, thank you for doing this because I haven't known what to do for you. I haven't known how to help you. I haven't known what to say. I, and I needed a way to help you for me, um, to show you that I care. But for me, it doesn't sit well with me that I haven't been able to help you. And I hadn't thought about that. I just hadn't thought about that. But we ended the night feeling loved. Um, our friends said that they felt better because they found a way to support us and we had enough money to do the testing for our son's therapy. And I always say that to parents, you know, be willing to take help, be willing to help yourself to be able to help uh, your child and know that it feels good when somebody can do something for somebody they care. I am very much on the other side of that right now that one of my best friends in the world, who's the director of my one-woman show, The Autism Momologues," her husband just got diagnosed with uh, a form of colon cancer and he's going to be fine and it's all going to be good, um, but they have a tough road ahead of them for at least six months. And I keep saying to her, I need to do something. And the other day we were standing there and she was like, but you don't need, I, I just wanted to get them lunch. And she was like, yeah, but you don't need to. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. You think that this is all about you. And I'm sorry. You need to let me do this for you because I need this. Please let me do this for me because I haven't done something for you. Please let me buy you lunch. And she was like, oh, okay, if it's for you. <laughs> right? And that's fine. That's Because it was for me. But... I, I'm just saying sometimes it's good for you to let somebody help you. It's good for you and it's good for them, right? Everybody needs it. So send and receive in every way that there is and send what you want to have come back, right? Ask yourself, are you doing that? But also be willing to receive the things that people are sending you back. Be willing, It you're gonna need some help. Um, and, and it can feel really good if you look at it in the way of, ah, I'm letting them help me and it's helping them. I'm just saying it's a very good thing. All right, we have to take a break now, but when we come back, um, we have a a brief pre-recorded interview. Normally we would just pop it into the show, but I'm wearing different clothes. I don't wanna try to pull one over on you, right? Uh, But we have an amazing woman, a speech and language pathologist who is also a BCBA. Her name is Rosemarie Griffin, and uh, she's gonna be, oh, I didn't even say who else is gonna be on. So we've got this interview with her. Then we're gonna come back with special education attorney, Bonnie Yates, and then later on in the show, we have Thomas Scheel. He is the founder of a dating and social networking site for people on the spectrum. How ma- amazing is that? Uh, but first up, we're going to take a break, and then we come back with uh, Rose Griffin. So stick with us.
2: Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bure. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live.
3: And you're watching Autism Live. And you're
0: watching Autism Live. You're
4: watching Autism Live. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life-skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live, and we are, we have joining us right now uh, via Skype, Rose Marie Griffin, better known as Rose. She is one of those rare individuals, are you ready for this? She's a speech and language pathologist, spa, I can't even say it, a speech and language pathologist, uh, see I need one, and a BCBA, that's a lot of letters. Rose, welcome to Autism Live, uh, through... Thrill- so we we've uh, in the past, we've called people unicorns sometimes yep. when they are, but you're, you're kind of a unicorn of another color, right?
2: <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, we, we do go by unicorns. Um, I love having both certifications. And right now, there are less than 400 people worldwide who have both of them. So it's, it's an amazing way to be able to help my clients in a very uh, specific way and also be able to, to help professionals too.
3: Uh, work with students
1: with autism. What a fabulous thing, because when you put those two things together, I think uh, a a lot of progress happens. Uh, Really, really amazing. Now, uh, there's so many things to talk about with you. You are not only a speech and language pathologist, and a board-certified behavior analyst, but you are also an entrepreneur and inventor, and you are a product developer, and you also have an amazing site that's called ABA Speech. It's a blog with a lot of free resources, um, and you offer trainings, including continuing education courses. So let's let's start briefly with that. Tell us a little bit about what people might find on ABA Speech and where to find yeah. it.
2: Great. Yes, I have a blog. I, I love having a blog. I love being able to share free information with people. And so I try to constantly be sharing things that are going on in my therapy room that may be helpful for other professionals, for other parents. So some of more, my more popular posts are about uh, verbal imitation training for students who are limited verbally, where to start with students who are nonverbal or limited verbally. I think sometimes it's really daunting and overwhelming knowing, you know, how do I help this student who uh, doesn't like the toys in my therapy room, who isn't, uh, you know, receptive to the strategies that I was taught in school and things like that. So I have a lot of free resources and free guides. And actually just this week I put up in the blog a freebie webinar all about the fields of speech pathology and applied behavior analysis and some tips and strategies on how to get started on that daunting road to collaborative services.
1: And I gotta say one of the things I love about you and and I find this to be true, the, the highest caliber professionals Are the best at being able to take the jargon out of the sentence for the parent. And you're very good at that. Uh, Thank you. I think that's a a true hallmark of an expert. You know, there are a lot of people who just, you know, pounce on the jargon and throw it at parents. And I always go, hmm, what's that about? Because the true (laughs) experts are the ones who can switch it on and off. So, and you are one of those true experts. So, where do we find the blog?
2: Yeah, so the blog is at www.avaspeech.org check it out there I always have my latest blog post up and you can search through to find out resources that would help you specifically.
1: Wonderful so really encourage people to go and check that out but then let's also talk about the these products that you have developed let's start with action builder cards talk to us about those. Sure.
2: Yeah so I just you know I had a vision for I was teaching students with More severe autism I work in a a specialized program as well as a public school and so a lot of the therapy cards that we use out in the field have one example of an action and so I was spending a lot of time making my own cards to teach my students how to generate phrases and things of that nature so if I had a student and they were working on labeling orange and pizza and spaghetti but they were also working on labeling eating I could not just go to a you know, ready-made box of cards and get lots of different examples of eating. Usually you just get that one picture of eating, that one picture of playing. And so I was making a lot of different things online. It was taking up a lot of time. So I thought, this is my vision. This is really what's best practice. It's to show students with autism specifically different pictures of items because that really helps us plan for that generalization piece so okay so we have a picture of eating eating pizza eating spaghetti eating orange and then that way when a student is maybe doing those things in the natural environment if they've worked on those different phrases that they can generalize that from what's going on in therapy session to what's going on you know at home or out in the natural environment.
1: And so Trayvon is showing some of them um, full screen here, right now we're looking at leisure nouns. Um, Right. So So this is
2: actually, Shannon, this is actually Double Up, this is my other product, Double Up. And so Double Up was the second product I created and this is a vocabulary and social skills game for students and I, you know, I work more with the middle school, high school population and I feel that there's just not a lot out there for students who might be at the level of matching. Um, There's not a lot of stuff out there that has real life pictures that are age appropriate. And so I created this and what's so amazing about this game is that you can match picture to picture as you can see the basketball to the basketball. But if you have a more advanced learner, what's really cool is that there's another game board that's leisure actions. So you can match that basketball picture to a picture of people who are playing basketball. So a lot of the times, if you're working in the schools or you you know, have a home program or something like that, you may have students at various language levels. And so this is a nice way to tie in all those different skills, plus you're working on turn taking, plus you're working on language skills like labeling and You can ask each other questions, you know, like, do you like to play basketball or would you rather, you know, do a go-kart or play mini-golf, things like that. So it's really based on your student's language level. But that's what's so nice that it lends itself to that and it's, It's age-respectful. A lot of the times when we're working with students who are older or adults, there's a lot of adults with autism. They want something to do that's functional. We're talking about functional things. And the pictures are real. So our students with more severe autism will be engaged by those. I
1: love that. uh, So that was double-up we were just looking at, where you're matching them to the different uh, category cards. And I think that a lot of parents probably don't understand matching uh seems like one of those things you could just gloss over and not bother doing but but it's a really important step in the learning phase correct
2: oh yes and that's what's so amazing with matching is that a lot of the time students who are in middle school and beyond are going to be working on vocational type tasks and those vocational type tasks all hinge on that skill of matching so we're matching in a vocational sense setting to a community setting and it, it's a really very important skill for students um with autism to learn and one that can be really difficult for students
1: fabulous so let's go back to the action builder cards because yeah. i know we were showing the, you were talking about one and we showed you the other one do yeah. you have uh, the cards there with you that you can hold one okay yes. so hold up oh. and show us one of the action builder cards
2: yes How to label different actions. Well, if I was teaching my student how to label washing, in a traditional speech therapy set of cards, there might just be one example of washing. So my student with autism may learn that this is washing. Sorry, I want to make sure it
4: looks good.
1: I know. Washing
2: here, um, but then a student will also need to know that this is washing, like washing a dish. We always kind of joke about that in the field as saying, we don't want to pray for generalization of skills from therapy to what's really going on in the real world. We want to plan for it. And so these cards help you plan for it. And another cool thing about the cards is that on the back are the different, uh, you know, the, the noun, the action, the phrase, the sentence. And so I have some students who have trouble creating grammatically correct sentences. And we may be working on that. And show them this, the back of the card, and then we can fade that, that
1: prompt for them. Love that. And I think one of the cards may have just uh, gotten close to your uh, microphone there, so yeah. Uh, so look at all the different ways that uh, that we can see washing. And and that's, I, I know for those of you who are BCBAs, that's just sort of run of the mill, that's your Tuesday. But a lot of times for us as parents, we don't think about all the different ways That we're going to have to teach washing until somebody says can you find cards that do that and let me you know as a as a mom of somebody that you know we had to teach these things to The the having to go and find the cards or make the cards or whatever listen i i swore when my son was done i was never going to laminate another thing as long as i lived so if you can If you can find the cards already made for you, it's such a time saver. It is such, and especially if it's done well, which clearly you have done. So where do we get these products? Where can we get the Action Builder cards, and where can we get the Double Up?
2: Yeah, so both of those products are available on my website, www.abaspeech.org, and they're also available on Amazon, and if you're an international, um, they'll ship that way through Amazon or Different Roads to Learning as well, ships them internationally.
1: And we should say, you you uh, created these and invented these with older students in mind. What what age range do you think um, people could start with? How young? Yeah.
2: yeah, with the Action Builder cards, really just is, you know, I mean, preschool, really, the Action Builder cards. Those are real-life pictures, and so those really kind of span the age range. And then Double Up is more, I'd say, fifth grade through adults okay. is an age range
1: for that. Yeah. But I love the fact that when you you know, shop these things, they are not condescending to, like if you're starting with a 16 year old, I can tell you guys that if you go and buy all the other cards that are available in the world, they're going to have all the preschool primary plastic things um, as if you were in a preschool class. And for our 15 year olds, they're like, "What, what are we doing here? So I absolutely love that. Um, And you are such a wonderful resource for so many different things. If you've got a second, I'd love to keep you and just ask you. Since I mean, how often do we get a unicorn that that is an SLP and a BCBA? That's a lot of letters, Rose. Oh, thank you. Ask away. Okay, so let's start with what are the top five strategies for working with students with autism who are nonverbal? And I think that's something like we all want to know more about so what are yeah. what are your top five things
2: yes we have to you know number one is to really gauge what how the student is currently communicating you know getting the baseline if the certain student is not currently communicating we need to go to step two which is our assessment piece and you know We need to look at how the student is communicating, and that's, you know, if you're a speech-language pathologist, sometimes the tests that we learn about in graduate school don't really give you that information about requesting. Requesting is so very important for early learners, and so I would urge you, if you're a parent, to make sure that requesting is something that's encompassed within that assessment piece. Uh, Because I can tell you, I have three kids of my own under the age of nine and uh, typically developing, and there's so much requesting that goes on uh, in my household. So that's, that's so important. I think sometimes what happens, Shannon, is that just doesn't get included because it's not always a part of a speech therapist repertoire of things that we look at if it's not part of the standardized assessment. And then, you know, we as good clinicians are gonna use our assessment to create our intervention. And so if we don't assess manding and then we don't have it as intervention, um, then we're really missing the boat on our our students really finding a way to communicate. So those are some really important things. And, you know, learning about our student, what they love, that's something that I always talk about and I call it building a therapeutic rapport. Um, Over time, you know, I have to make sure that I'm somebody who's fun, somebody who gets my student, somebody who's not always demanding things that really just wants to be in their space and and find out what they love and enjoy so we can work on requesting and then I can use those things that are fun to help that student learn, to help that student be motivated to learn. And then, you know, what's really last is to make sure that, and this is the hardest part, I think, is to make sure that once we have our plan, our intervention plan, and we're going to be working on requesting for students who are limited verbally, is to make sure that everybody on the team is, is included. And that's what can be so overwhelming because sometimes when you have a student with more severe disabilities or more severe autism, that team may be 15 people. And it's hard just to know everybody's name and to make sure that you have a collaborative relationship with those people. But that is really what is going to make a difference in the life of an individual
4: with autism.
1: Truly wonderful. I Last week, uh, well, weekend before last, I got to be at the ABAI uh, Autism Conference. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I came back, and of course, we, there was much discussion about jargon because it was, people were presenting, uh, there were BCBAs who were presenting to other BCBAs. They weren't intending it. To be on a parent level, but the one of the workshop, one of the talks that I went to that I was excited, it was about teaching functional communication, and I couldn't, I couldn't get there, I couldn't because he started out saying that uh, let's take a look at the manned modality assessment, and I, oh. and I sat there and for you know a large portion of the talk tried to figure out what a a manned modality assessment was. And then later at a reception when somebody explained what it was and I was like, oh, now I wish I could go back and listen to the whole thing. But I love the fact that you just... Ladies and gentlemen, who watched last week, she just talked about a manned modality assessment because she said it's important to start with knowing are they requesting things and how do they like to request things and building that, which is right. the manned modality assessment. But thank you for not saying manned modality assessment. Yeah, uh, that is okay, <laughs> I PA, but I do try
2: to just, but I also teach an ethics class um, for people becoming board certified behavior analysts and we talk a lot about that. To not use jargon and to really know you know that, that that can make people feel uncomfortable if they're not sure what it is. And that kind of, you know, if you go to my website, adaspeech.org, I have um, a free ebook that's called Communicate With Me. And really what it starts going over is, you know, what does it mean to man? what is a tact, what is an echoic, what is an interverbal, and those are terms that we may throw around in the field that other people um, may not understand. When you may call it a label, I may call it a tact. We're coming from it in different ways, but we're really talking about the same thing. It can be confusing.
1: Well, it can, and, and you know, I'm now I'm a fan of some of the jargon, not all of the jargon, but I, I do, the more I learn, the more I see why the jargon is important because, it becomes very specific. That, you know, that a tact becomes a very specific kind of labeling, which once right. you know what that is can be very interesting. But, you know, I, and, and as I said, I hate to make fun of this poor doctor who used the man modality assessment, but he was there to present to his peers, not to me. He wasn't doing anything inappropriate. I just couldn't get to it with a can opener and uh, <laughs> and an assistant. I couldn't get there, but you know what I'm saying, uh, oh, yeah. but anyway, uh, I so appreciate what you were doing, I, I love, love, love uh, the cards, both the Action Builder cards and the Double Up, think that that's wonderful, and again, where where can we purchase those?
2: So you can purchase them on my website, www.avaspeech.org or through Amazon, they're oh. also available
1: Okay, fabulous. Uh, But definitely people need to go to your website, abaspeech.org, so that they can get some of the free resources that you have available there and check out your blog, which is awesome and in plain language that we can all read and understand, which hallelujah. um, (laughs) No, it's such a thing. It's such a fabulous thing, so I really appreciate you. Um, nope. And and if people want to get, uh, if there are professionals that are, that are out there, you also offer um, things that are CE credits, the continuing education credits on your website as well.
2: I do, yes. ABA Speech is an ASHA-approved CE provider, so we have courses for that are taken by parents and professionals. So we have a really cool course called Help Me Find My Voice which is geared towards working with students who are nonverbal or limited verbally and knowing where to start with assessment, knowing where to start with intervention, how to work with students with problem behavior. And um, it's been really well received by parents and professionals because, as you've said, you know, sometimes as a parent you go into a meeting and if you have one child and that child has autism, you may not know what a a tact is. And so it kind of helps you feel more prepared when you're dealing with a team and you want to be, you know, a stakeholder and a a important part of your, of your child's IEP team and things of that nature. So, uh, parents and professionals alike have really liked that course.
1: Absolutely. That sounds amazing. I always had a sign that, uh, was in my bathroom that said, my son's team is only as strong as its weakest player. And that will not be me. Good, yeah. uh, so for you know, for parents who feel that way, what a great way for you to get on board and, and know what's happening. Well, Rose, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for being a part of our show today. And whenever you, because uh, I know you have this great mind, you're going to be rolling out new products. Whenever you do, let us know. We'd be happy to have you back. Awesome.
2: Thanks so much for having me. So
1: nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. All right. Thank you, Rose. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, What a wonderful, wonderful professional working in this field. You know, these are the kind of people that I just go, oh, thank goodness, right? We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be right back with more Autism Live right after these messages. Stick with us.
5: let's talk about step 7 recognize your gifts and abilities whatever gifts and abilities you had before autism entered your life you have them now and I bet you've developed some that you didn't even know you had those gifts and abilities are going to help you in your journey of parenting a child with autism spectrum disorders maybe you're a born researcher teacher negotiator or organizer well you're going to need all of those talents and you could find a whole new calling. That's what happened to me. If you had told me 20 years ago that I was gonna leave behind a career as a television producer to work as an autism advocate and activist, I would have said, you're nuts. If you don't think you have any special gifts or abilities, ask someone who loves you. They'll tell you what they are. I guarantee you, you have them. What's your special gift? Find it, use it for yourself, for your child, for the good of all concerned. Until next time, keep the faith. Hello activists, let's talk about step seven recognize your gifts and abilities whatever gifts and abilities you had before autism entered your life you have them now and i bet you've developed some that you didn't even know you had those gifts and abilities are going to help you in your journey of parenting a child with autism spectrum disorders maybe you're a born researcher teacher negotiator or organizer where well, you're going to need all of those talents and you could find a whole new calling. That's what happened to me. If you had told me 20 years ago that I was gonna leave behind a career as a television producer to work as an autism advocate and activist, I would have said, you're nuts. If you don't think you have any special gifts or abilities, ask someone who loves you. They'll tell you what they are. I guarantee you, you have them. What's your special gift? Find it, use it for yourself, for your child, for the good of all concerned. Until next time, keep the faith.
1: Parent to parent token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. So first of all, let's talk about what is a token economy. It's just a visual representation of reinforcement or a reward that's gonna come later on for behavior that you've done now. So I've got a couple examples here of uh, token economies that I wanna show you, but one of the most important things to remember with a token economy is that it's essential that whatever the child is working for be meaningful to them. So here, this is a two-part token economy, I've got a list of things for the child to pick from, to pick what they wanna work for. So the child would pick off the one they want, put it on their other token economy, and you can see it says, I'm working for a play date. What a great thing to work for. And as this child progresses through their day at school, every time they do a task and they do a good job, they're gonna get a token to put on this token economy. And we've got a rule in place for them that says, maybe you have to get three tokens in order to get that reward, which today is a play date. And as the child gets better, we're gonna make it harder and harder. Maybe next week it's gonna be four tokens to get the play date. This is another token economy here. This is a task completion token economy, so every time the child completes a task that there's a picture of, they can peel off a token and put it on to demonstrate that they have completed that task. Again, it's essential that they get a really wonderful, meaningful reward for having gotten these tokens. Using a token economy can be much simpler than this too because you can download them to put a free app on any one of your devices, right here on my phone, I've got a free app, Easy Kid Tokens, and when my child does a task and completes it, and he can specify what the stickers are, in this case, it is a ladybug, and when he gets three of them, then he's gonna get his reward. This is a really simple way to take something with you when you're going on an outing and make sure that your child is staying on task and getting rewarded for the things that they do. It leads to good behavior. One of the most frightening things there is is when your child wanders away or elopes. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on.
6: My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Breeds Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA.
1: Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life.
5: My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses.
1: We are here today because I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell.
6: Thinking about his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing, I cannot be more proud.
1: much for waiting for us while we took care of some things. We've got Bonnie Yates on Skype and on the phone with us. We're so thrilled to have her with us. She is a special education attorney with the law firm of Hirji and Chow, and we call this your rights because knowing your rights can be the difference uh, between getting what you need or what your child needs at school for an entire school year, if not for their entire future. So Bonnie, welcome back to the show, first of all.
3: Thank you, Shannon. Oh, you're Happy great. to be here on this That's rainy day,
1: stylish. thunderstorm day. Yes. Uh, I love the hat and the scarf. It's all uh, gorgeous. I, I... If I If I told you it's origin stories, would you like it better? I'm sure if that I I you, would.
3: If I told you that the hat is goodwill and the scarf I picked up on the ground when I was running and nobody seemed to be looking for it. and It's like very warm alpaca wool, so I, love I brought it, it home. I adopted it.
1: and they go so well together it looks like you've been shopping at the loft and to know that you got it at goodwill and on the corner (laughs) we're
3: like shopping in the dumpster but that's (laughs) another discussion
1: that's another discussion but i wanted to start bonnie by just telling you that i had the opportunity to be on the phone with a mom who uh i was talking to her the other day and she was expressing that her day wasn't going quite how she had hoped that it would she was Feeling a little bit low, and she thought to herself, "You know what? I'm going to turn on Autism Live and see what's happening." And she said that I'm—I'm going to paraphrase, but she basically said, "And Bonnie Yates was on," and she said, "So I was able to take a big, deep breath and know that I was in the right place."
3: Oh, Isn't that lovely. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the experience of the mother is very deep. Um, We have all these expectations for ourselves about how we're supposed to make it all right for our kids and parent perfectly. Um, I'm watching, you know, my daughter go through the same thing because she's pregnant and we all have these internalized expectations about how we're supposed to feel wonderful because this is such a life-transforming experience. And before we get started and before I read the disclaimer, you know, I was thinking about this last night because... Um, moms wear themselves out, you know, in fighting back against this disability, and you gotta start thinking about what you can do sometime, even if it's just a short time, something nice for yourself, something that lets you catch your breath, something that allows you to gird your loins for the next thing you have to do for your child, and, You know, for people that give so much out to other people, like their families and their friends and so on, moms need to give a little bit more back to themselves. And if you can't figure out how to do that, you know, I'd say close the door, go into the bathroom, wash your face with some nice soap, brush your hair out, put on some perfume, and treat yourself like, you know, the beautiful soul that you are. Because nobody else is going to do it for you. And you'll be modeling really healthy habits for your children. I so, love
1: that. Thank you.
3: You know, I mean, I think like I told this mom, you know, I did this for two years straight on totally full-on mode, and then I was in burnout. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you gotta remember, you, you're in you're in it for the long game, not the short game.
1: Amen to that. Thank you so, Bonnie Yates. Anyway, we love so it. can from, I say I'm one from here, thing I'm from before here, we But wait, can we say one thing before that? I'm loving your beautiful glasses. I just want to let you know that we are getting a reflection on your glasses in uh, case you have anything private on your computer. Um, uh, no,
3: I don't, but I could take
1: them off. No, no, they're That's fine. Uh, well, you're beautiful both ways. I I just don't I just don't want us to disclose anything that you didn't want us to. So,
3: no, you there's, there's no, I mean, unless are you? A, I mean, there's client files. Are you actually seeing words and things like
1: that? I'm not, but I just want to make sure that no one can because right. I, can, I can't well, see let's, what's on let's there. Play. But, okay. let's play, let's but play it. Okay. Let's play it. But you are going to give us the disclaimer so and tell us about I, here. Jean I can't Chow. see anything, so I
3: have to come on. Okay. okay. I'm from Here and Chow. Here, Jean Chow is a six attorney firm in Culver City. Our areas of interest and expertise are in. Boy, the reflection is really bad. Uh, autism and disability discrimination, you can reach us at 310 3910 and, um, when we answer questions on the show, we want you to know that, you know, we're not giving legal advice because legal advice is specific. Uh, the answers we're giving to questions are based on what the law says and shouldn't be construed as advice. And so... Um, you know, we have to walk carefully, and if you need help with your individual problem and you're in Southern California and you'd like a complimentary uh, consult, you can give us a call uh, at 310-391-0330, and we can get more focused on your specific problem that way. Very so. good.
1: Very good. And and it is well worth it, my goodness, uh, to get to spend some time talking with you about particulars about a case is a is a fabulous thing I encourage people to get your you know get your stuff together and call Bonnie and call Hirji and Chow to do that we also want to I know people had sent in some questions this week but I wanted to finish up with uh, dyslexia and nothing was particularly pressing um, they were more in general in nature, but, uh, Bonnie and I sp- specifically want to ask anybody who's watching, we are about to enter IEP season and Bonnie has said, send me the IEP questions. Let's wait in. Let's answer about IEPs, everything that you guys need to know going into your IEPs. So be sending those questions into us. But Bonnie, we're going to finish up with dyslexia today, I hear.
3: We are. And I have one more thing to say on the yeah. subject of of mom care. Okay, there are a number of moms and dads who work in public education. And those parents oftentimes are given the hardest time about uh, advocating for their own kids with a disability. So I'm just giving a shout out to the teachers out there and the paraprofessionals and stuff like that. You don't need to feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty about asking for help. I think there's that, that sometimes like, Districts punish their own harder than anybody. So, I you agree. know, moms, you have a you have a duty and you have a right to assert your child's rights on his or her behalf. Anyway, where we are in dyslexia is we're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. We're getting down to the last kind of part of the discussion about reading, and it's technical. So it involves me talking about and reading to you terms that are all in play in terms of how children learn or don't learn how to read. Once we finish that, we're going to go into a discussion about 504 plans versus IEPs, and then we're just going to start doing, like, like all IEP stuff all the time time for a while. There's There's so much to to talk about there, and we're going to get everybody ready for IEP season. So So, um, where we left off was in terms of the state's suggestion for how how to... Um, do universal screening for kids in kindergarten to make sure that they don't have um, the signs of a potential learning disability. And then the the guidelines seem to suggest that you take kids that have some problems and you put them in groups and you give them more intensive instruction. And my question about this to the guidelines people is, you know, like, well, wouldn't wouldn't you want to err on the side of being cautious with those kids and and do an assessment, but that's not the way the guidelines work, right or wrong. They suggest you break the kids up into uh, groups, and sort of the less severe, but still needing additional additional support, would be be worked on on in a group group several times times a week for 20 to 40 minutes minutes, um, with a one one to five five adult instructional instructional ratio, and And then the more severe for four to eight weeks. weeks. And then the more severe group, they would tackle similar things, but the way they would do it is they would drop the, uh, sorry about all the papers, they would drop the instructional ratio down to one to three. So um, at a certain point, um, the suggestion was that the, 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 the Evaluator, whether it was a speech and language pathologist, a school psychologist, or a teacher, whoever's doing it, or even a paraprofessional, whoever's doing the tutoring, has to make the call as to whether the, the more severe group, um, if they don't respond well to intervention, should be referred to uh, IDEA for an assessment. So, what I'm keying on that was interesting in this discussion is the comment that, quote, For dyslexia, you need evidence-based, multisensory, direct, explicit, structured, and sequential approach to instruction. And so you can see there that the notion that we find in programs like Linda Mood-Bell, which is that these kids are often weak on certain uh, channels, and they need to receive the information in a multimodal way in order to learn, is being extended beyond reading, and it's being suggested that multimodal teaching is going to be necessary for this group of, of kids for a lot of skills that they're, um, they're not learning. Uh, they also make a point that you can't use putting people in this tutorial intensive for four to eight weeks as a, as a way to delay giving somebody a referral to special education or an assessment. Um, they then talk about how teachers can do the progress monitoring. Uh, they need to know the strengths and weaknesses of the kids They need to have a method by which each skill is assessed to see if there's going to be progress at the end of the the tutoring period. Um, And there needs to be a relation to um, what outcome measures, um, uh, what the outcome measures reflect, in other words, uh, what do the test results reflect as compared to what's being taught in class. So, In other words, to see whether the intervention is actually helping the students. Uh, Pick up more of the information that's being taught simultaneously in in class, and then of course uh, the information can be graphed, and teachers need to work with other people on the team to figure out what the what the graphs mean about skill acquisition. So this is where the guidelines get kind of nerdy, but I think in a really good way, Uh, it just requires a little more effort on our part. So. On page 49 of the guidelines, they have a very technical and very interesting chart. And you just have to sit with it for a little while. And then, even though it's dense, you'll see that it it's actually really helpful. So, the first category of problem is phonological awareness. So, in other words, they're saying this is what dyslexia looks like if somebody has a problem specifically with phonological awareness. So phonological awareness refers to an individual's awareness of and access to the sound structure of oral language. It, can, it, is the under, uh, it is the understanding that spoken language can be divided into smaller units and that those units can be identified and manipulated. So the question is, how does it look in dyslexia if somebody can't break down the smaller units of a word and sort of play with them orally, move them around, sound them out, and so on, right? So how it looks in dyslexia is the person presents with difficulties in phonological awareness, especially phonemic awareness. It is one of the best predictors of dyslexia and a key predictor of early literacy acquisition. So what you're seeing here is. Um, The whole notion that, you know, we can't figure any of this out until the student is in third or fourth grade is not true. There's a way to look on a more microscopic level at what the student is or isn't doing, let's say in terms of their phonological awareness, and that will be a strong clue in terms of whether or not this person has dyslexia. Redimentary ability to blend, segment, and manipulate phonemes within words and syllables is a prerequisite for understanding phonics. These basic skills of blending, segmenting, and manipulating phonemes facilitate students' understanding of the place value of the sequence of graphemes and phonemes within words. So, uh, a big predictor. Of dyslexia and reading problems would be difficulties with that phonological awareness.
1: And can I pause there for a second and just say, whenever somebody talks about phonemic awareness, my my ears perk up because this is a thing that even though I was a teacher, and I was a college professor and a speech teacher, and then later I went to teach in um, upper grades. Not I never taught kindergarten, first grade, or second grade. This was. I I knew what a phoneme was, but I didn't understand that people could have a a difficulty and a disability in phonemic awareness. So this was news to me as a mom, and where I discovered it is that there's an entire section of skills, which is the tool that, uh, the online tool that we talk about a lot on the the show, that is just about phonemic awareness. There's a way to assess your child for phonemic awareness. In skills and there's a way to address it and strengthen it with your child in skills Uh, and it's it's a, a section of skills that doesn't get talked about a great deal but I knew when I read it I was like oh my gosh this makes total sense because so often in the classroom I would be there with a kid and you would say something like I need everybody to put your math book away and take out your science book and turn to page 45 and a significant portion of the classroom would do it, but there would be one or two kids that often didn't. And other teachers would tell me, oh, well, that kid just misbehaves, that kid doesn't pay attention, that kid, and they would label them all these other things, but I saw that it, was, it wasn't computing. That, and you see this a lot with kids who don't have phonemic awareness, that somebody says something, it's that receptive language piece, somebody says something and it takes them longer to break it down because they don't understand it. And the idea that that's a predictor of dyslexia, you just blew my mind, Bonnie, because we see that with a lot of our kids in autism, that it takes them years longer if they don't get intervention before, and then all of a sudden their receptive language kicks in because they get the phonemic awareness. So that is fascinating.
3: Thank well, that's you. good. It's a little nerdy. But I, love I think. It you know, in the interest of really understanding, I think we do have to get a little bit more detailed about all this. The other thing I wanted to say at the beginning that I should have and I forgot to, even though it was in my notes, is I'm just having a really hard time going to IEP meetings now because I've talked to some teachers who have um, worked in the public schools and I've also had some classroom assessments recently. And what we're seeing in some cases, and this is anecdotal only, but it's very concerning, is it not much is being done in the learning centers. Um, people are basically just given busy work to do, or they're told to do their homework, or they're watching movies, or they're having people read to them, and none of that is intervention. So it reinforces the unfortunate fact that you really don't know what's going on with your kid in school unless you're um, a room mother or father, and you volunteer 25 hours a week. You're a former teacher, and you volunteer enough to know what to look for in terms of how things are going on the playground or in the gen ed classroom or in resource. You know, otherwise, we're sort of trusting their assurances that these things are meaningful when written into the IEP and they will be worked on. And what I'm finding is that a lot of the time, that's not happening, and I, I want to caveat this with: this is purely based on anecdotal information that I'm getting from people. But I am getting told, like, well, yeah, they've offered that service, but their behavior team is way too busy; they're never going to be able to give all those hours, There's or no whatever the out. you know the the example is. So that that's really bumming me out a lot. Um, the next uh, kind of criterion that the chart looks at is is rapid naming, letters, numbers, colors, and objects, and why that's relevant to the understanding of whether somebody has a reading disorder. Um, so basically rapid naming is stuff like, you know, can you say B-O-N-N-I-E really fast? Or can you say, you know, T-A-B backwards, you know, T-A-B backwards really fast, um, and so on. And so phonological processing is required in order to be able to do this kind of rapid naming, but additionally requires executive functioning, attention, and fluency, among other abilities. And so uh, a strong predictor of dyslexia, but less so than phonemic awareness uh, or alphabet knowledge would be this rapid naming but it's likely that those with difficulties in phonemic awareness and rapid naming also have more severe forms of dyslexia. Um, Inability to kind of recognize individual letters in a word or to name the individual letters is one of the best predictors of dyslexia, and it's a key predictor of early literacy acquisition. So if your child can't, spell his name or you teach him his name over and over but he doesn't hang on to it, that's not normal. Uh, And that's not autism either, that's something else. Um, Should I keep going? Okay. So the next category of things that are looked at is uh, grapheme phoneme association. And I got out my little dictionary and I looked these things up because I, I didn't know what grapheme phoneme association was. But the way grapheme phoneme association works is like if you have the word B, B-E-E, um, ee is the grapheme, but E is the phoneme. So like E-E spells E, but write it, you have to write it out for a reader to be able to tell that that's how it sounds. So anyway, I don't think that's the best description I could have given, but it's the ability to associate graphemes In other words, written letters with the phonemes they spell. So if you have difficulties difficulties in this area, that's the hallmark sign of dyslexia. So you really want to key in on grapheme phoneme association because it's probably, if your child has grapheme phoneme association problems, it's probable that what you've got going on is a big problem in, in phonological processing, and you probably are dyslexic. Um single word decoding is important. Uh, decoding of real words is the ability to use systematic decoding strategies to accurately identify and pronounce real words through grapheme, phoneme association. So, dyslexia involves a specific dis- difficulty in word and non-word pseudo-word decoding that is based on a weakness in the phonological aspect of language. There's a direct relationship between difficulties in grapheme phoneme and phoneme grapheme associations and these decoding abilities. So you see what they're doing is they're taking each aspect of reading in the chart and they're breaking it down and they're showing you how it goes wrong when you have disabil- with when you have dyslexia or a related reading disability which is fascinating to me because of the effortless way that a lot of people learn how to read and how many things can go wrong and how broken this process can get and how important it is, therefore, to have people providing support who have training in response to intervention type methods that are going to produce a result. Uh, if you're just doing kill and drill or whistling uh, you know, in the dark or Um, reading to the child, uh, and you're not teaching from a systematic curriculum the skills of each part of reading, then it's probable that the disability of dyslexia is not going to get remediated. Um, So uh, they go on to talk about reading comprehension. I think most of you know what that is. Um, It involves both literal or explicit understanding as well as inferential understanding and students with dyslexia may have difficulty in reading comprehension, uh, whereas they will have strengths in listening. A lot of dyslexics have a very strong auditory channel in that way. Um, Oral reading fluency, okay, the accuracy, speed, and prosody, intonation, and meaningful phrasing of a student's reading of a text at an instructional level is what's meant by oral reading fluency. And students with dyslexia have often poor reading fluency due to a number of factors, including poor decoding, limited awareness of syntax, an underlying processing deficit, and interestingly, in adults with dyslexia who've had remediation, they will be doing much better, but they will still, for example, maybe read at a really slow speed, uh, because they're having to be much more effortful about doing all those things that, the rest of us leaders do effortlessly. So, um, just to wrap up, I think we're out of time. Right? We're close. Wrong?
1: Yes, we we right. came to you late, so we are running a okay. little late.
3: Okay. Well, there's there's other areas to cover that are that are implicated in dyslexia, encoding, phonological memory, oral language, syntactic processing morphological processing, orthographic processing, and handwriting. And for the last two, um, I'm just going to skip this. You can look at the chart in the the guidelines if you want to know how the other areas are implicated. But um, orthographic processing is the writing system of a language. Spelling, uh, which includes conventions, punctuation, and capitalization. Uh, Knowledge of orthography is stored in memory in the form of rules and representations of words or parts of words and used to read and spell words. Um, Handwriting consists of text generation and transcription skills. Excuse me. Transcription skills can further be broken down into handwriting and spelling. Handwriting for written expression requires the integration of orthographic knowledge. It is often assessed by the quality of written letters, e.g. consistency and ability to anchor letters on lined paper and also by fluency, e.g. writing letters of the alphabet and copying under time conditions. Um, So there's just one more box, if I have one more minute, Shannon. Yeah. Okay. So written composition, that's the skill. Written composition, writing mechanics and writing fluency. Broadly defined, written expression includes a complex set of abilities, idea generation, organization of ideas, ability to generate topic sentences, supporting sentences and concluding sentences and editing and revision, uh, as well as mechanics, capitalization, punctuation, handwriting and keyboarding, uh, vocabulary, spelling, grammar and syntax, uh, e.g. sentence structure. So for those of us that don't have a writing fluency problem, what we we have in terms of a skill is the ability to smoothly and effortlessly compose written texts. But students with dyslexia uh, often have poor written expression, writing mechanics and writing fluency, although there's no established evidence that these are important signs of dyslexia. However, they are seen in students with dysgraphia and um, are a highly comorbid condition in students with dyslexia. So the reason I threw in the last part about written composition is because so many of the the kids that we see um, that have a diagnosis of autism have big, messy, loopy writing, and there's always a fight going on about when and for how long they should be given OT services. And so it's interesting that there's some crossover with this problem in dyslexia as well so you've got you know very complex processes going on uh, in terms of reading writing and so on and if your child is having trouble in these areas you need to get a a good understanding of what the source of the problem is and how to best um, teach to it
1: absolutely bonnie if somebody wanted to get this guide that you've been reading from where would they find it uh, you Google California
3: Dyslexia Guidelines. I just looked for it the other day to give it to somebody, so I know it's there. Okay. California Dyslexia Guidelines. It's about a 100-page booklet.
1: Okay.
3: So Thank we're you. getting there. So we we you are. Know, we're, we're almost done with the nitty-gritty, and I'm going to speed it up now and summarize more things, and next time we'll talk about kind of the remaining uh, content in the pamphlet. But yeah. Um, oh for people that are you know i have a lot of people come in and they're they're struggling with the fact that their child isn't learning how to read and nobody seems to know what to do it seems like at least this would give you the ability to do some you know diagnostics in terms of you can try the skills that they're they're talking about and see how how, whether or not your child can do them them. i didn't go to the trouble of breaking it down so much but each box in the box chart explains like well this is a phoneme so you could you you could take your child and sit down and just probe his or her basic understanding of phonemes and take some data on it, and it will tell you something.
1: Yeah, and if you want to get more extensive, the truth is is that whole, uh, you can probe and, and assess that all on skills uh, very easily. And good point, that, good point. That's good point. Com, and it will even then, if you ask it to spit out a benchmark that's appropriate for an IEP, and you could say, you know, I've looked up the guidelines, the California guidelines on this, And I assessed it in skills, and here's the benchmark. And certainly I would think at an IEP they would have to listen to you if you had that kind of corroboration. Yeah, well, it
3: suggests that we should have a separate program called the best of skills. And start start telling people about all the hidden gems that are in there that
1: they can use. Because that's certainly one of them. So that's a cool thing. Uh, now, unfortunately, we are out of time. Please give us the the understanding of how to get a hold of here, Gian Chow, and huh. you at the same time. Okay.
3: Um, Shannon always tells me that our email is lawyer number four children dot com, like www.lawyer number four children dot com, and our phone number is three ten three nine one zero three three zero. And thank are- you, everybody, for uh-huh. waiting through this. Um, I uh-huh. hope it was useful. We want to continue to give you stuff that, you know, isn't just theoretical, but it's actually stuff you can use at your IEP meetings.
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much. And thank everybody at Here, and Chow. And if you've got an issue and you're in the state of California, give them a call. Do the the free consultation. And uh, I don't think that's what you call it. but uh, That is what I call it. That is what you call it. Okay. So uh, check out Here, and Chow, lawyer for number number4children.com. Bonnie, Bye, thank Shannon. you so you much. All right. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we have a fabulous guest. Thomas Sheel has been standing by. We're running a little bit late. Thomas, I apologize. He is the founder and CEO of, I'm, I'm pronouncing it Unipi, but let's see what he calls it. Uh, this is a dating and social skills service for individuals on the spectrum. Stick with us.
6: Lisa Sacrament back with your talk of facts, the autism journey questions and answers that you need to help your child make the progress they need. I'm here to talk to you about one really important item. A lot of people ask me the question, "Well, Lisa, I want to see this specialist in another state. How do I do that?" You know, I don't, I don't own a jet. I don't have the ability to fly um, without great pain and travel. Not a problem. We know how to get this done. So. I actually encourage families, even though in travel can be a tremendous hardship getting a child with autism through security, through the plane, and in the journey to where they need to go. We have a whole white paper on TACA about how to travel with special needs kids, so it can be done. So travel, we know that can be expensive. Not everyone has an unlimited supply of cash for air flights. We love and work with this group called MiracleFlights.org, they're fantastic. They will fly you and your child, so one parent, one adult, anywhere in the United States, one time a year. Also in the TACA document are places to stay. So often you will have people in your life that love and support your family and don't know exactly how to help. Ask them to gift you their travel or their rewards cards or coupons for hotel rental car. That's a great way to be able to get maybe a hotel room that has a refrigerator or microwave and that's close to a Whole Foods. So you don't have that added cost of uh, going out to dinner, especially if your kid has a lot of allergies. It's important to note that there's not a pediatrician or a specialist by every Starbucks uh, in the United States. Close does not always equal best. So I bring up the travel point so you know that travel is possible, number one, And often, it's really going to help you get down the road faster for your kid and getting the answers you need from the specialist that knows what to do. So don't be afraid to travel.
1: Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself sometimes, why does my child have meltdowns? Well, the difference between tantrums and meltdowns. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development. But meltdowns are when things get a little bit more out of control, when even the child isn't sure what's entirely wrong. Generally, with a meltdown, there's an environmental component. There's something else going on outside the child that's making the tantrum worse. It's really important that we start to be detectives and take notes and look around at the environment and start to figure out what are the things that happen every time your child has a meltdown. And lastly, it's important to get help. You really can't face these kinds of things effectively completely on your own. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but don't accept meltdowns as something that just happens. Make sure you get help and support. You might be asking yourself if your child has autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're just talking weather. Everybody weather is you know the thing today because everybody's experiencing some extreme of it. Uh, joining us right now via Skype, we have Thomas Scheel. Hopefully he's gonna tell me. There we are. Thomas, is it Sheeell or Shield? Stay on the phone though. I'm Shield. Sheel. yeah. Okay. And you are the CEO and founder of an organization, and I want to know that if I'm saying that right. How do you say the name of the organization? Yeah, we uh, said It's um, Unipi. Unipi. Okay. So Unipi is a very unique uh, entity. Tell us what it is. Yeah, sure. So um, UniPie is the online data site for um, adults
0: who have autism Asperger's. Um, it's a combination of matching in the sense that we are a safe place for you to sign up and find love, but also a place where you can look for, um, for friends who share similar interests as you do.
1: Well, uh, and this, uh, this is a very unique thing. Tell us, how did this come about? Why did you start this?
0: Yeah, sure. So the reason why I started Unipi, um, was I was on and off dating sites for a few years. It's actually where, uh, it's actually where I met my wife. Um, during my time on these dating sites, I had noticed that there wasn't really, um, like, they didn't really have a, a, any resources to help you out when you join up. They just wanted you to spend uh, money. Um, I realized then I wanted to build like a better dating site that would help its members with dating, but I wasn't actually sure like how I would do that. Um, until like, one night I was watching the movie Hitch with um, Will Smith and Kevin James. And uh, Kevin James actually hired Will Smith in the movie to be his dating coach. Um, and that's when it hit me that I should build a dating site that um, offers uh, coaching to its members. To help them with dating um this i was actually going to originally be for uh neurotypicals but actually watching the, but after watching the documentary great autism in love and seeing how dating can be typical for them um i decided to, I, and i also speaking to um, rebecca who i actually met while um building, like while i used to do freelance web development um she did behavior analysis and speaking to her about it as well um i told her that i think i wanted to do it for um in the spectrum and she thought it was a great idea and she wanted to be a part of it so um that's, so that's
1: when like, we decided to do it for the autism community. Okay, so I am in love with this idea. I think it's amazing. And uh, you know, I, we have had a viewer who's been watching us for seven years and saying to me, when is this gonna happen? Why can't I find somebody who can help me with this? So I'm so thrilled that I finally now have someplace <laughs> to send him, but tell us how it works. So if I'm a person and I'm on the autism spectrum and I wanna be dating and I wanna be dating successfully, what do I have to do?
0: Sure, so um, you come to the site and then you click on um, sign up. And,
1: and what's and the site? Go. Let's start with that. What is the actual
0: site? Yeah, it's site? Uh, Okay. And what does that mean? Yes. Yeah, sure, so it actually means two different things in, like in Latin and in Greek. Uh, I talked the word uni, which means to become one. And the word pie, um, which means forever or infinity, and I combine them together. My wife and I actually came up with it together, so um, okay. I give her the, the credit for that actually. Okay. Um, and uh, it actually it's like the slogan of our company is to become
1: one forever. I love that. Okay, cool. So you go to that website and there's a button that says log in or join or whatever. What does it say? Yeah, it says um, it says sign up. Sign up.
0: Yep. Um, and then we're actually built in the process of building a video that will have like that will demonstrate on how to sign up um from, like step by step. Okay. Um for people who, who might have difficulty Um typically would it. it should be live by the end of this week, if not daily of next week. Okay. Um so like users will sign up, they'll fill out the basic questions that they usually ask like their age, their gender, what they're interested in, where they live. And um after filling out those questions, they get asked like other questions. And these are the questions that we kind of use to help you get matched. Okay. And the, the questions are like, um, or some of the questions are, there's actually 10. Um, I'd rather go to the bookstore, bookstore than a bar. I find it hard to make friends. When I talk, it isn't easy for editors to get a word in. And I would rather go to movies than go to a museum. And then the, um, options that you can answer is Al- almost always, kind of a lot, and almost never. So, like, we kind of use these questions to, like, help you, like, get matched, um, like if you're, if you're like outgoing, then you probably want to date someone who's outgoing. Um, or if you're like kind of reserved and quiet, then you probably might want to date, date somebody who's more like you, but, um, then I'll show you the second option that you can get matched and that is like, if you want to fill out like, um, like your match settings and say like, I'm looking for a female age between 27 and 32 and live like an X amount of miles away from your zip code.
1: Okay. So you put all this information in, and then does it like say to you, here are some choices, or does it match you to one person? Uh, It
0: gives you um, multiple choices, depending on how like well like if you like um, multiple choices, if
1: there's multiple choices available for you. Okay, and then is it then does it give you a way to contact those people? What what's the next step?
0: yeah sure so um after like you saw like, your profile and if you have like a premium package which i'll go into a little bit later um you can send these messages you can send these people a message um and then like we have like pre-filled messages for that means like if you might not know what like what this message or something you can send like a wink and it's like um like we put like a lot of time and effort into that to make sure that these like, people would actually want to respond back to those messages
1: and at what point does somebody help coach you through Cause so you you email the person. Does somebody coach you through what to say then, or that comes um, later?
0: So the coaching is not actually an um a requirement, or you don't have to do it if you don't want to. Okay. The coaching is actually optional. Um, so like you can go to the the, the, the data support um page on unipy.com and you can see um like uh, like a little bit about like the coaching packages, and then you can schedule like a free thirty minute consultation um, with Rebecca. And um, she'll go over like a little bit about like what's um like what's gonna happen. What are the various topics that you guys can discuss? And some of the topics are um, cyber safety because safety is our, is our definitely our number one priority. Um, how to set up a profile. Um, how to be like outgoing in social scenes. Um, I like this person. What do I do next? And I want to be uh, more outgoing. What do I need to do?
1: Okay, so. Now, clearly, you can't do all of this for free. Um, so, you mentioned that there's a premium package. Talk to us about how much it costs to join and the different tiers.
0: Sure. So, the basic um, membership is ten dollars a month, and it's the premium package. This will allow you to do everything on the site, from message, from sending a person a message to being a part of like the forums and like the blog, like the and like the community. So, like maybe like you, you want to post a topic about like um, I. I has anyone seen the most recent, like, um, like uh, Batman movie or whatever? You can get the discussions, so that way for you to like kind of talk to people without ha- having like the extra pressure of like sending a message or or um, having to like go through that whole phase. Because that part of it sometimes might be like a little nerve-wracking for people. Um, then we have another fee where you can pay um, six pay for, uh, you pay seventy dollars for six months and get an hour of coaching. So. Like that normally is seventy dollars. sorry, that's normally a hundred dollars, but you can get it for um for a hundred dollars. Sorry, I mean for some hundred dollars you can get it for seventy dollars. And then the last package we have, which I think is the best one we have, it's called the um unlimited package where you can get access to the site for as long as you want. Um and you also get an hour of coaching as well.
1: And um, how much is and, that?
0: Uh
1: and that's a hundred dollars. Okay. All right. And so, um, now it, it takes a while to get people to join and the more people who join, then the more proficient your matches are going to be. Right? So, um, how long have you guys been doing this? We launched
0: the end of 2016. Like we launched November 2016. Okay. Um, we didn't really take off until I want to say the beginning right the middle of 2017. Um and then um year to date we're up to like over eighteen hundred members signed up. We've had a two hundred and twenty percent increase in members signing up twenty eighteen versus twenty seventeen. Great. So we're definitely gonna bring in new members um like daily. Um and it's starting to start to grow more and more.
1: And do you find, Thomas, that um, like I, I imagine that there might be clusters of places where somebody is. So if somebody is living in the middle of Kansas where there isn't a whole lot of uh, stuff around them and they sign up for it, they might be matched with somebody who's a little ways away. Do you find that, you, that that's okay because they first start talking online?
0: Yeah, um, we haven't really seen that happen too much, but if it does happen, then we will, um, like I guess they will like, try to make a, like, a long-distance relationship works and sometimes too they might end up just being like long-distance friends or pals and having someone that they can relate to and, keep, and communicate with but usually people try to search for other members who live in their area
1: yeah yeah all right well um now here's a big important question what if does somebody have to be on the autism spectrum to um be a part of this
0: um you don't have to be on autism uh, well like so like, you is for people on the autism spectrum but it's also for people who have social difficulties. So maybe you're not really diagnosed in the spectrum, but you have, a, like, you have, like, a lot of the similar traits or, like, you might get a lot of people on the spectrum, and you can sign up as well. But we're kind of just making sure that people um, on the site have autism or might have a form of autism. Okay. Because we want to make sure that it's, like, safety and there's no one out there that's trying to, like, take advantage
1: of our members. Yes. Because safety but- is our biggest concern. But we're not saying, just to put a fine point on it, we're not saying that people on the spectrum should only date people on the spectrum. What you're saying is if you're having trouble communicating and you need a little more help and support, we're gonna start having you date with people who share this and maybe are a little bit more patient. Is that kind of the thought? Yes, correct, and um,
0: the coaches coaches help out as well. Sometimes we notice that um, People might just use our site just for the coaching because maybe say like, oh, well, I like this person, um, but like I don't know what to do, so they'll use this for that as well.
1: Okay, so you don't have to do the dating site; you could just do the coaching.
0: Yeah, and the coaching packages start at like um, for one hour is forty. It's forty dollars, um, but the um, like, and like, that price is like I say very reasonable because when I was like looking into the prices, I've seen prices start from a hundred dollars to five hundred dollars an hour. And I was like, there's no way uh, I want to charge um, people for this. So that's why we, we kept the price very reasonable at $40 hours an hour. And then you can buy like five-hour packages and 10-hour packages for
1: cheaper. And um, I would assume that you can do the coaching long distance, that it's done on the phone or via Skype, that you don't have to be yeah. in the area.
0: Yeah, it's done over the phone or Skype or uh, FaceTime, like, whatever you feel most comfortable with.
1: And you were mentioning that it's Rebecca who does the, the, the coaching, correct? Yes now it's hard but as we start getting more people to use the coaches we're going to we have some people lined up and ready to come on as coaches as well who have the same perfect and Rebecca is be- what are their do they have a special credential that allows them to coach or are they are just people who are really good at this
0: um they actually have to have some involvement and have had have, have, have to have work with people on the spectrum in the past and have to like have worked with like, um, adults either around the areas of dating and relationships Or just have worked with um, like adults with like helping them like live like like um like an adult so like if they have to help them with like maybe um like getting ready for work or getting ready for school or like how to be an adult and live on your own.
1: Because I'm just gonna plant this bug in your ear. If there's a way that you can get insurance to pay for this, oh my goodness, (laughs) you know you would have people signing up left, right, and center. And, um, you know, counseling, you can do telehealth counseling now, but I think people have to be licensed, LMFTs or something of that sort. But if there's a way, uh, Thomas, that you can get for insurance to pay for this, I think you would have a crazy amount of business. Because I don't know a single person on the planet that doesn't... I mean, it's on Maslow's hierarchy of needs to have people to feel intimacy with in all the different ways that that is implied. And and of course, people who have social difficulties still want that and deserve that. And we should be helping them to be able to connect um, with those uh, things that they want in their life in a way that's meaningful to them and not expect that they're just gonna figure it out on their own, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, all right, so again, where should people go so that they can find out more information and sign up?
0: Um, so they can go to um, unepi.com, that's dot icom and besides like the coaching, um, we also have like, a few other different um, resources to help out our members, and um, they're, they're free actually. Um, one of them is blogs, and then the blogs go over like a wide array of topics onto, like how to fill out a profile, um, how to like message someone, um, how do I date safely, um, what do I stay on a date, or what do I do on a date, where to go on a date, and we're actually about to add two new blogs on like, how do I for a date, um, which we added by the end of the day today. Um, and then like, a ton of other topics that we go over. And then we have a podcast called Love on My Autism that we're going to uh, kick up back again this year. Um, and these topics go over, like, if they have, like, we have neurotypicals as well as those in the spectrum come on our podcast and talk about, um, their relationships and their friendships and, like, how they've kept them, like, like how they kept, like, healthy relationships and how they've gotten rid of, like, people that might not be good for futures as well as how they've, like, um, how did they find, like, how, how they found love if, if they're, like, in a relationship.
1: Well, I think it's amazing, and just yesterday on the show, I was saying that I wish somebody would offer a class on how to use social media, because I find I have a lot of friends that are on the spectrum that I am friends with on Facebook and other social media sites, and, you know, I'm not somebody who can diagnose, that's not what I am able to do, and yet... I can tell when somebody messages me whether they're on the autism spectrum and I'm very into there's no wrong way and there's no right way but those those friends of mine will say I don't understand when I'm talking to somebody on Facebook why I don't get as many responses as this friend of mine that you know isn't on the spectrum and you know I have said to them but don't you understand part of it is is that when when you send me a message and the message is hey and I'm busy. All I can respond is "Hey back," I, you know. So I put "Hey yeah. back," and we haven't gotten anywhere. Um, yeah. And that usually, you know, it takes like four different interactions before they'll say to me, "I have a question for you," and then I instantly respond because I know yeah. what to answer. But when you say "Hey," I don't. I don't know how to respond except "Hey." Yeah. Um and so I, I, it sounds like you're teaching that class, and I just want to say thank you. Because uh, I know yeah. a lot of frustrated people. Yeah,
0: there right. is, and like, um actually a, a blog on that too, because like when I was on data science before, too, in the past, I used to get messages from people that saying hi, and like, you can't really go anywhere with hi. Right. And it's like, how am I supposed to get to know you? And like, if you don't really have like, your profile called our, and you just have the word hi, like, it's yeah. not going to really lead to anywhere. So, I was like one of the first slides we've and like how to keep a conversation going, how to like how to make this one for the first
1: time. Yes. How to open that conversation. And because there's nothing wrong with hi, except that if the purpose of saying hi is to get me to say something back um, and to keep it going, if you say hi and that's it, all I can say is hi, because I don't know what's happening. Um, but you know Perfect. I love the fact that you're doing. It. So I want to encourage everybody to take advantage. Do you have gift certificates so that you can gift this to the to somebody that you care about in your life?
0: We have that for coaching. We're actually in the process of doing that for the actual like daily part of the site, but we do have that for the
1: coaching part of it. Okay. Well, I I can think of one person that I'm going to make sure sees this so that he can take advantage of what you have, because this is exactly what he has been asking for for a long time. And I, and I know he's not the only one. So, Thomas, thank you so much for coming up with this and having such a great idea. Again, it's www.unipi.com, U-N-E-E-P-I.com to sign up and enjoy it. We, we think it's just super. So thanks for thank being you. with us. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back to finish out the show. i got to tell you, it's not the last show of the week because we're going to be live tomorrow, and I'll tell you all about that when we come back. But first, take a look at this.
6: talking how much we love rice exactly and what we're trying to do with our kids is to get them off the car correct yeah. <laughs> eat correct less rice so literally this is like what I would order at Benihana's or mm-hmm. or any you know Japanese or Chinese food restaurant whether you're at P.F. Chang's and, and we're gonna do it all with cauliflower so well, let's go ahead and get started Let's go. so what we want to do is throw this all into the food processor here And we're going to get this to the consistency of little rice pellets, if you will. So, and I'll throw some on the floor for the the gods who need the floor uh, cauliflower. And that's good. I think that's enough. So we'll go ahead and pulse this on. This almost looks like the Parmesan cheese that we were making earlier um, with but I love this, it's definitely got the consistency, mm-hmm. it looks a little bit like rice. So Amy, talk to me, this recipe with stir fried rice, mm-hmm. we want to use a soy sauce, but why no soy? So with a lot of our kids, where we know they have issues with gluten and casein, soy is very similar in the way it's molecularly made up, so that with the gluten and casein, they break down into peptides, right. that the body doesn't know how to process. Same thing happens with soy, so in this case, we really would caution not to do soy sauce for a recipe. So coconut aminos oh, I love is this a stuff. great substitute. And so we've got our cauliflower ready to go, our peas and carrots, mm-hmm. green onions, salt and pepper, eggs, sesame oil. Now we're gonna head over to the stove. First part is to take our onions. And if you don't like green onions, this is great with sweet onions or even yellow onions chopped up. Then we're gonna take our cup of uh, peas and carrots and I always like to say we go together like peas and carrots, carrots. <laughs> so we'll get this all sautéed and in, into tender. There's the egg. Well, um, if we can, we'll do a little salt and pepper to taste. Sorry. So now what we're going to do is take our secret cauliflower mix, if you want to hand that to me. And we're going to throw this in and notice the consistency does look a lot like rice we're going to take the secret sauce that we were talking about earlier the coconut aminos just love this stuff so um it calls for a couple of tablespoons and as you all know i'm not a measurer and i I may just put a little more in because i love this stuff (laughs) cheers oh my gosh Mm. you would never know this This is is not rice no and no, we're we're hiding from our children all those carbs and we're actually eating <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> Go figure. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Autism Live. And uh, we love seeing you here. We're all about healthy eating for our kids and we appreciate you. If you have questions for Autism Live, hit autismlive at gmail.com. If you have questions for me and want to convert more recipes with me and Amy, that'd be great. We could do that again. Um, you can email me at lisa at takanow.org and we'll see you at the next What's Left!
3: This cooking video is brought
6: to you by WellAmy.com. Amy, a certified nutritionist and holistic health practitioner, is an expert on autism and special diets. Find ingredients and other GFCF approved foods and recipes at WellAmy.com.
1: I love lisa ackerman i i I, there's a good chance that we'll have her on the show next week we're trying to work that out um but i just want you to know like sometimes we go and film something and you may not know the why and the wherefore but we filmed all of those recipes that you see uh well a group of them anyway all in one day and poor lisa has to have everything one version of it pre-cooked then she cooks it in front of us and we usually do it on two or three cameras and uh, but there's the pre-cooked one in the oven. We take it out. It's that you know cooking show magic kind of thing. And on that particular day of shooting the, of the one that you just saw, I was crew. You know, I'm I'm working one of the cameras. And and for that, it haunts me to this day because that recipe was so good. That no no rice uh, uh, fried rice. Oh my gosh, I make that all the time now with the cauliflower rice. But um, I was responsible for running, running one of the cameras and we filmed the whole thing and she had the head of cauliflower and put it in the thing and she worded it and then I went, oh, I didn't have the camera on. <laughs> like I just, I'm filming away, but I didn't turn it on. And everybody was like, what is, <laughs> like it was the end of a very long day. So that's why it's kind of interesting the way that it's shot. Uh, and bless her, she still speaks to me. Cause we did have it on one camera, but it's that side angle kind of thing what can I say? I am not the best crew member. In any case, uh, we live and you still get the recipe and she looks beautiful. So there we have it. Uh, I got only a couple of minutes here and I want to talk about a couple of important things, but the question came in from Chris who wanted to know, how do I get my autistic three-year-old to stop mounting the dog? And a few days ago, he bit his ESA. Um, and I'm assuming that ESA Uh, stands for emotional support animal but if it isn't Chris please write me back and tell me so I'm assuming that he bit the dog um, that that's what's happening so um, with all behavior and first first before I say anything let's say that the best thing in the world is to consult with your ABA team and have them take a look at this right because whenever there's these kinds of behavior you need an expert right But I want to tell you something that you can be doing as, you know, call today and get them and maybe they can't come out until later, but, you know, as best as you can for what has happened and then certainly in the future, you want to get out your, everybody knows who watches the show, the three-fold piece of paper, right? So you fold a piece of paper into three. And then, so you got three columns. And at the top, you write A, B, C because, you know, we can remember A, B, C, Right? A is for the antecedent it's what happened before B is for the behavior C is for consequence and you start keeping a log and you write down that you know well at at about three o'clock last night um, and make sure you write the time and then the easiest thing to do is to fill in the B and to say to yourself what was the behavior and write down what happened well you know my three-year-old bit the dog um, and bit him where, where were they in the living room, you know, whatever, right? Then once you're remembering the behavior, it's easiest to remember how did it end. So this is the consequence in the C category that you're thinking to yourself, well, I pulled him off of him and I yelled at him and said, don't do that. And I sent him to timeout, right? As an example, right? And you would write that down as what the consequence was. If you pulled the child off of the dog and distracted him, you would write that down, right? It's whatever the consequence was for the behavior. If you distracted the child with a- ice cream, write that down. Now that you've gone through the behavior and the consequence, it's time to put on your memory hat and to the best of your ability, ask yourself, what happened right before he got on the dog? What happened right before he bit the dog? Like, did I ask him to do something? Was I on the phone and preoccupied? Uh, Did the dog come in from the rain? All of this is good information. Anything that you can remember, right? You're not going to remember everything and there wasn't a video camera running in all likelihood. So cut yourself a break. Write down what you can. And and you start to keep a log of this behavior um, and what happens so that when your ABA person comes in, you can say, here, here's the log of what has happened. This will speed things up exponentially because what we're looking for is patterns. Because when behavior happens, challenging behavior, there's a reason for it. And there's four usual suspects. Attention, and it's possible that he's using a little bit of all four, I don't know, right? But we do things, all of us, including children on the spectrum, to get attention. And remember, negative attention is still attention. That's why we have tabloids, right? Uh, Okay, so attention, getting access to someone or something, escaping someone or something and because things feel good. We call that the automatic reinforcing. So we're trying to figure out which of these four or how many of these four are involved in biting the dog and getting on top of the dog. Does he like the way the fur feels? Because if he does and it's automatic reinforcing that he likes the way the fur feels, then we can appropriately teach him how to pet the dog and reinforce that and give him lots of love and attention and things that he likes for appropriately petting the dog, right? If it's uh, that he's teething and he needs something to bite because that's happening, then we can address that in a different way. If it's that the dog is breathing on him and he doesn't like the dog's breath so he gets on top of her because then the dog runs away, well that's an escape maintain function, right? And we would go about that in a different way. So it's so important that we begin to know, and while you begin to know, you're going to want to make sure that you're you're not only taking data on it, but don't just let it happen to take the data, right? If uh, if, it, if you see the child going over to the dog and you think it's going to happen, distract the child and do something else because A, something bad can happen. The, they can hurt the dog and the dog might bite them, right? And we don't want that circumstance to happen. So don't just allow it to happen, but if it does, keep data on it, right? Um, but please get expert help for it because something's going on. And I- if... Let's say that he started getting on the dog because he saw it on television and you know wanted to pretend that he was riding a pony and he got on the dog, but then everybody went, no, no, don't do that, and picked him up and, and gave him ice cream, then he's going to do it a million more times, right? Um, if he bit the dog because the dog is bothering him and scratching, I'm telling you, whatever it is, we want to address it, right? Okay, we're totally out of time, but tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., Uh, Pacific Time, I'm going to be live uh, from CalABA, which is California's ABA conference for their poster session, where I'm going to be going up to young people and talking about some of the research. There may even be somebody who has done a research study on kids who bite dogs, because the first time that I ever heard about an intervention for that, it was at a poster session. So there you go for that. Uh, but tune in tomorrow and we can have it be interactive starting at 10:30 Pacific time. And I, I'm not sure, but I think we're going to go like an hour and a half ish. So as long as my battery will hold out. All right. Uh, until then give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye bye for now.